Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, we discuss the concept of human dignity and how it is a foundational element to how we live and interact with one another with compassion and mercy, and how Christianity is a pivotal part of that foundation. Let's get salty. Welcome to the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. Hey, this is Dan. And you're in for a real treat today. A real treat because I'm going to start by saying we're going to talk about barbecuing and meats at the end of this thing, okay? So you're in for a real treat. We have the beef. Remember that? Yeah. Are you old enough to remember that? No, I remember where. what's... What's your beef? What's no no? Okay, we've where's lost. the beef? Where's the beef? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> beef. But... It's what's for dinner. I remember that ad campaign. Yep, and then Arby's is we have the meat. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, all I have to say is we've highlighted the personal preference section of this uh, episode, and it's about uh, grilling time and what's your favorite grill. But I like it. And more importantly, we're going to talk about something that actually matters, um, and that is. Uh, kind of this concept of human dignity and why is the idea of human dignity a foundational element of really lots of the things that we think and feel and and are are foundational for our worldview but then also foundational for some of the conflict that we kind of see going on and the disagreement uh, culturally and probably why we feel so heavy in moments like this as we think about um, when we're recording this episode, there's just been, um, we're kind of on the heels of two um, mass shootings, one mm-hmm. in Buffalo and one in Texas, um, one specifically racially motivated and the other one uh, a bunch of kids So in an yeah. elementary school. So um, the idea of, of kind of looking at things through that lens and saying, well, why are we so heavy? Why does it hurt so bad? And why, does it, why is there kind of everyone points to it and says, this is something that we inherently recognize as uh, incredibly painful and, and something that needs to be uh, eradicated from our society. Yeah, yeah. and when and you know, you remember when we we're walking and talking through some of the important topics that we could uh, address. That we found a thread going through all of them. Right when you think of the this the ongoing conflict issues that are growing um, more and more obvious in our culture, we kind of discovered that they all have a very similar root that is growing through all of them yeah yeah it's it's we kind of sat back this is episode 24 and we kind of said okay well we've noticed that as we kind of go through the news cycle and say what's what's going on in politics and pop culture and, and what should we talk about there's kind of this foundational element of dignity being something and human dignity and how do you respond to that or how does your worldview inform that and how do you act on that as being one of the reasons why there's again so much controversy and so much conflict, but there's this thread that runs through it, and so we think we thought let's just address that thread, um, and just the big idea of human dignity. And I mean, it kind of informs everything. I mean, I mean, we did an episode on war. There's still a war going on in Ukraine, right? Why does it? Why is it so painful to watch one nation invade another and yeah. impose and oppress them and kill them? And why does it hurt when we watch? You know, when we see racial disparities and racial injustice and all that and, and why do we watch when we watch gang wars or you know even the culture wars of the idea of things being um you know p- treating people inhumanely or what does it even mean like yeah. what does it mean to treat people with compassion and um the abortion conversation the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks when roe yeah. v wade uh, opinion being kind of um leaked about potentially overturning that um oh, and, and then we saw that epi- that uh, headline about someone uh that was um they were covering an assisted suicide that a church was yes. taking on right, oh, yeah. right in a church. And they were, and uh, of course brings up the same question, right? Yeah. Which is why is that an issue? Why do people care whether or not someone um, directs a physician to end their life when they want to? And why is that even a question? Right. And that leads us to ask questions about mental and emotional illness and, and the connect, the connection that has to the tragedy that we, experienced yesterday down in texas with a school shooting and uh, all of them whether it's white supremacy mass killing or if it's identity politics sexual orientation abortion all these things and you're like what is it i mean what is it do you cover one or the other or you know are they a series of things that you cover and what we decided was there is something specific that makes this controversial yeah there is something specific 
that makes us cringe that like something's wrong yep yeah everyone has very strong opinions right yeah and, you know i mean when you know whenever you if you've been in the united states if you pay attention anytime you have a right, there's a mass shooting then politics usually kind of immediately jumps into the conversation but everyone has strong opinions about what should and could be done and how do you stop it but everyone elicits us it elicits a strong response because everyone at least in the West, in the United States, kind of views the world through this idea of everyone has human, dig- every human has dignity and inherent value and worth. And the question is, well, how does that inform our situ- our, our conversations? And as Christians, we sh- how are we aware of how this our perception right. um, informs the way we have these conversations? And then conversely, how are people who don't have a biblical, gospel-centered worldview? How does their viewpoint inform the way that they are um approaching these and then maybe we're talking over each other we're talking past each other because we maybe have a false assumption that we all view things the same way um but we're going to take a look at kind of why human dignity and the concept of it is is foundational yeah and the the way that people get there and the convictions that they uh function with that drives what they say and drives what they do and you know even the idea that somehow politicians rush to address this tragedy yesterday by going right for the band-aid solutions of what weapon did the kid choose to use right and it's kind of makes you makes you think there's 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 clearly not a political solution right um there's got to be something more that's happening here and people share their solutions or their concerns with deep deep conviction and as you just said if you uh, what we're going to do today is kind of look at why or how people are approaching this kind of visceral reaction and what's informing that reaction yep right exactly and so in typical salted style as we get salty we'll translate they'll say what's the problem or what's the trouble or what's the you know kind of what are the competing worldviews that are at play in this whole conversation in this arena um and so i guess we should probably maybe just start with the idea of human dignity and what is it Um, because i i think most of us we would say oh yeah i know what human dignity is and when in reality i think not many of us would have i before we did this i'm like what i mean what is my definition of human dignity you knew off the top of your head because you are the subject matter expert am i did i just discredit myself i believe believe. (laughs) please keep listening i've exposed myself my deepest Darkest fear of being do. exposed as an imposter. Yeah, so. I, I do. <laughs> wow, mo- just undig- moment of transparency yeah. there. You know. I've lost all my own dignity, Didn't ironically, <laughs> as we're speaking. Uh, just by talking. Dang it. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it is true that we had to, we had to, uh, f- we we had to find a real working definition. Yeah. And there's, I mean, if you were, to, if you were to like the, I mean, literally just Google human dignity, right? It's like dignity or even just Webster dictionary, yeah. right? Dignity is the right of a person to be valued and respected for their own sake and to be treated ethically. Right. So you got two big words, value. Yep. Human life has value and it, and every person, every human has a right to be respected for their own sake, right. not for my right. sake or someone else's right. sake, not as a manipulative end, Right. And to be treated with ethics, ethically. Yep. Just and the, yeah, the idea is simply that the modern day definition is valued and respected just because you're a human being for yeah. no other reason. There other you go. Than that, there right? you go. Yep. Um, whether you care about this, but you can. There's a whole nother conversation of where this kind of came from. I mean, historically, some people would say this emerged out of the Enlightenment. We're going to talk about and see well how that's generally not the case. Hmm. Um, but as we were researching this, we kind of we kind of surfaced three different ways in which dignity human dignity is defined so three different categories so when you think of valued and respected for their own sake that's a modern day kind of you know way in which we view things but there's actually a couple different ways in which we can view dignity and have humanity has viewed dignity historically so for all you nerds out there listen close okay and to repeat dignity we mean the right of a human being to be valued and respected yes the right to be yep and so the first one is attributed dignity. Okay, so attributed dignity. That simply means that um, also, it also means like imputed dignity. It's just the dignity which is ascribed by other people. So you have dignity because, I would have dignity because you treat, treat you with t- dignity. Yeah, 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 ascribe that dignity to me. Gotcha. Um, you have, this is a fun one, um, 
Inflorescent Dignity. I like how that sounds. Inflorescent Dignity. That's the one I want because it sounds great. <laughs> Not necessarily. But that's a dignity which is a function of the expression of human excellence. Mm. So you do something really excellent. You do something incredible. Yeah. Your achievements, really. Okay. And that's what uh, that's where you get your dignity from, why you should be valued and respected. And so then, one comes from people. Yep. They've imputed it to you. Yep. And then the other one comes from what you've achieved. It comes yep. like out of your own effort. Yep. And the third one is the one that we generally uh, ascribe to, whether we know it or not, in the West and modern day, and that's intrinsic dignity. The dignity or value that something has by virtue of being the kind of entity that it is. Hmm. So in the same way that you would say a dog has inherent value and worth and you shouldn't mistreat a dog, it's because it's a dog, right? We don't because people value and prioritize dogs. It has intrinsic value and worth because it's a dog. Mm -hmm. But you would say, well, you're a human, so you have different intrinsic value and worth and you should be treated differently simply because you're a human being. Right. And so that's intrinsic dignity, right? Which is kind of, we all kind of get, right? I mean, the human being, you should be treated uh, with value and respect simply because you're human. And so the question now is, okay, well, this is, if this is three different kind of definitions of dignity, um, well, what, how do we view things generally in today's world, right? Mm. And how are we, is there, is, can we proceed from the assumption that everyone is viewing the world and treats the idea of human dignity from the same foundational definition? Yeah. And it, it seems like our society's view of human dignity has some problems with it. <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, there's some problems. I, mean, I mean, you can, I think most of us would say, um, there's, I mean, there's a writer, her name is, is Susan Hack, and she said, you know, classically, before, she would say, bef um, you know, in the classic world, like ancient Rome and Greece and all these things, the, the idea of dignity would be more of an attributed dignity or inflorescent, which is the fact that people ascribe dignity to you based on who you are, right? right. And then, all, or by the achievements you've done. Yeah, so um, royalty king and Correct. his family would be ascribed all the dignity sure they yep. get a hundred out of a hundred yep and the peasant or the the low um the low end of the peasantry would get zero out of a hundred right right gas yep. system kind yep. of idea yep and a really quick example if you're a history nerd is like rome took over the world the greeks became slaves people like spartacus they re they rebelled because not because they were against the institution of slavery like we are today it would say everyone has human dignity there's no slavery they just were against the idea that they their class greeks <laughs> were slaves they mm. said he said slavery is fine it's just we don't <laughs> right. we are more not dignified for not for us right yeah. but there's still problems in the way that we kind of perceive dignity modern in modern day america yeah i mean it doesn't take a whole lot to notice that our society is obsessed with achievement no. right and riddled with bias so uh, you see how achievement informs our perceptions of human dignity and really um, as a modern culture this kind of cuts to the heart of the matter as a society our personal identity is very much deeply linked to what we do how we perform what we accomplish uh, and and why do we so often need to point to achievements for evidence that somebody's life is meaningful if you, no one can convince me that we aren't instinctively drawn or to express dignity toward the tom brady's sure. in the athletic world or mm -hmm. you name the celebrity or the presidential candidate or whatever because of their achievements and then you have these biases as well that are riddled in our in our culture or in our human heart maybe that informs our perceptions of human dignity and those things are based most exclusively on somebody's socioeconomic level, their skin color, sexual orientation, or maybe their now their gender identification, or we've covered this in critical theory, right? The, the intersectional grievances that someone uh, shares with somebody or any physical or medical abnormality. If somebody's got uh, some kind of syndrome, handicap, uh, disability, cognitive um, state that they're in, um, you, you can read all kinds of things about what's happening to Down syndrome babies in the womb in other countries based on the bias that they don't deserve dignity because of what, what value and worth they're going to bring to the world right. in terms of achievement, right? So there's bias 
based on these surfacey things as to whether or not we give someone dignity or not. You know, just think of it this way. Human dignity, we instinctively give to somebody important. And when we see him in the airport, we stop that person for a selfie. Right. Right. But, or we tell, or we tweet, or, or we, um, we take a, um, uh, a reflective picture, um, uh, over our shoulder of yeah. the celebrity yeah, to say right. I was with this celebrity yeah, based yeah, on what they've yeah. somehow they have more they have more value and worth and deserve to be respected. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're prob- we could be sitting next to people of multiple cultures and whatever and think right. they don't have any value because right. they're not famous. Right. Yeah. And and that's I think you know when we look at these the ways in which these have um, surfaced historically. If you know because we we do both this bias, which is that attributed right dignity, we we attribute different people with different uh, higher levels of dignity or even achievement. We see historically we like the way that we kind of land on this intrinsic dignity is usually through kind of really deep um, like sense uh, experiences of conflict. And where mm. this dignity is not expressed, I mean, you can think of stuff like, well, well, there's like the, the you know the national or the Jewish Holocaust Museum. It's like, well, there's a never again, right? The, mm. the whole world is committed to saying never again. We're not going to. We have learned that we have to have dignity for everyone, and anti-Semitism specifically is something we need to eradicate because, well, six million Jews were killed in World War II, right? And it's like out of these intense senses of con- of conflict, we kind of emerge and say, well, there's some bad people who did things to people just simply because they didn't ascribe any dignity right. because they either said, you're not, you're not my race, you're not my nationality, therefore you don't have as much dignity as I do, or you are, you know, you are a, you know, you, you don't achieve or you don't produce, right. Which is a big in the, in the eugenics movement in the, like the, the thirties the right. and forties and fifties is you don't produce, you're a, you're a taker. So we're going to kind of, eradicate you or sterilize you and say well out of these movements there's a lot of um movement to the other side and say well how do we actually institutionalize and codify intrinsic value hmm. so you're saying that's where a lot of this idea was discovered or when 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 in the modern times when people started to discover well these this particular race has worth they have value and dignity uh and I'm discovering that because somebody's eradicating them. Right. Yeah. Specifically, like modern times, it's there's someone is oppressing or doing yeah. something to someone, so someone has to step in and change it. And we're like, okay, well, we can't let this happen again. Yeah. We can't yeah. let this happen again. And over and over again, we're saying we can't let this happen gotcha. again. Um, uh, and so, I mean, this this is also this has kind of laid the foundation for the idea of universal human rights, mm. which is something that is a widely known, widely accepted idea, at least in Western cultures is that there are every single person has universal human rights based on their intrinsic value and worth as a human right and they the UN actually went on, went on they, they actually have a charter a universal declaration of human rights that kind of came into writing in, 19, in 1966 and it's an international document that states the basic rights and fundamental freedoms to which all human beings are entitled Right, and th- their first articles are that they establish the basic concepts of dig- dignity, liberty, and equality. Mm. Right, so it's like, so if you think of what coming out of 1966, I mean, we're coming on the back end of World War II. I mean, you're in the you're in the, the conversation of the Korean War. You you know you're you're getting places where out of that conflict emerges, we have this idea of human rights. And so now, if you were to ask people, I mean, I don't know, you you, how many people do you know would would disagree with the idea of universal human rights yeah i mean i remember when there were people who were disagreeing with the middle eastern we'll call it the desert storm and right. and the invasion of from uh, american invasion of iraq and i remember people pushing back on that saying why would we think we're so supreme uh we are so high and mighty that we would think that everyone wanted to be an American. Sure. And the rationale that was given by our political leaders and our military leaders at the time, right or wrong, the rationale was we're not giving them, we're not bringing American freedom to them. We're bringing to them what the UN has already described as a basic right and fundamental freedom for liberty. Sure. Yep. And it comes from here. It came from the UN. Of yep. course, you know we're going to get into how we think the UN right. is yeah. kind of hijacking or jipping uh, an entirely different concept. 
you know, theological anthropology yeah. to be exact. Ooh, you Bam. fancy. Bam. Yeah. yeah, and that's, I mean, but that's the, right, the, I mean, generally most people are living in a world where universal human values is something that they, or universal human rights is something that they believe in and they ascribe to. The question then becomes, well, where do you get that, where do those, those rights, what are those rights, where do they come from, and why are they rooted in human dignity? Right. right? And so, in other words, here's a good summary, maybe, on human dignity as we're describing and defining it now. People have begun over the course of history to discover it. It isn't, it, it is, uh, there is a source for it. Yeah. It's not a modern philosophical idea that we should say, you know what, we should f- somehow think and um, make the mental assent to, to see that maybe human beings have dignity. What we're learning is that it's being discovered that there's a source for it, that there's a there's a right. common sense of tragedy when human life is taken. Right. Where yeah. did that idea come from? Where did it from? come from? Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and that's the and, and the this this writer Susan Hawk says she says there there was you know the shift from that attributo um, dignity or that you know that inflorescent which is the achievement right the shift from that to to the inherent dignity of just being a human being. Mm-hmm didn't come just naturally out of naturalism or secularism. It came out, um, and it's primarily attributed to Christian theological anthropology, like you said, and it and the incarnation, right, and on Western thought. So this idea, mm. where does it come from? It actually comes from the biblical Christian anthropology of that's you know, that's the only place that we can look to and say that's where this idea of individual inherent worth Aside from what you've done, who you or your any sort of physical um, uniqueness, yeah, um, that it is only because you're a human being that only comes from the Christian theological sure. worldview. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, real quick, uh, for those who may not grasp really quick off the top of their head what anthropology means, you when you say theological anthropology, right, right, theology meaning the study of God, right, yeah. anthropology meaning humanity like studying man yeah. human yeah gotcha mm-hmm. as opposed to you know an animal version or right. a dog or something like that yep. Canine, yep. so but this is i mean this kind of segues this conversation into the idea that the belief that universal human rights and human dignity has a source to be discovered right right and so when we think of why we're talking about this it's as we talk about all of these ideas and all of this conflict yeah. It's where does our where do what's our definition of human dignity? Yeah, why are we outraged? Yeah, why why do we care so much? And then um, your next level is like, okay, well, there's a next level conversation. Well, what do we do about it? But yeah. we, but what most of us talk about the what do we do about it, and we yeah. don't necessarily have alignment on why individual human dignity actually matters and where that idea yeah. even came from. Yeah, what's so. the reason we're not looking at the news and these killings? You know, the race motivated one the white supremacist dude there and then this uh you know i'm sure we're going to discover some kind of mental illness with this other boy um and and why aren't we just saying well you know what there's a lot there's a lot more kids in the world we shouldn't really worry about these ones that we've lost in fact if you're a climate alarmist you'd say well yeah it's probably actually contributing yeah you you shouldn't have kids so you should reduce the number of humans for the sake of all of humanity Right. right but why is there a common gut reaction a visceral just despair over the the horrifying loss of life um, based on the fact that these recent ones are children and based on the fact that the ones prior to that were just simply had a had a skin color that um, somebody was racistly uh, hateful towards right Right. and we had this visceral reaction so what we're saying is there's a reason we react that way and there's a reason we should advocate right. for human life yep and at we and what um what we're describing is that the reason that we all have that is whether we know it or not we view the world through a judeo-christian christian anthropology um that everybody has inherent value and worth and human yeah. dignity comes from just being a human being and I, I mean i mean just for those of you who who might be you might be an atheist or an agnostic or you know you're a searcher you might be thinking well that's not necessarily true but you would there's a there's an author and historian named tom holland and he he was having a conversation about like well wouldn't these universal human rights wouldn't they emerge even if christianity didn't exist and he described it this way he said 
the belief, right, the, the, the idea of believing that universal human rights just hangs in the ether, just kind of hangs out waiting to be discovered, is as theological as believing that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Hmm. And he says, it requires a leap of faith to believe that universal human rights just exist. Uh, and he says that the difference is that Christians recognize it requires belief to believe in Jesus, whereas lots of people just assume that human rights exist. It doesn't just spontaneously emerge. Right. So it's worth asking, you know, would, uh, would, would someone who is, I'm going to say atheist or, you know, maybe even an agnostic, but somebody, or a materialist, right, would they then, you know, there's a response from them, right? Secularists respond by eliminating, they want to, they, they don't necessarily like the term dignity, right? Because it's right. subjective, it's theological, it is, it, again, it assumes that there is some uh, source and underpinning. Yeah, it's a, I mean, we're doing like a 30,000 foot view on the idea of human dignity and its its roots in Christian theology, but there's a pushback to say, well, if human dignity, there is, you know, if you look at the the non-Christian worldview uh, or the non-religious worldview, you can say, well, where do those rights come from? It's a, it's a question that really is very difficult to answer for inherent universal human rights. Yeah, It's an unanswerable question. Um, and so because of that, there's a push to say, well, what what's human dignity? There's a there's an equivalent, hmm. like a legal or a secular equivalent, and that the terminology is kind of being pushed and changed over into, instead of human dignity, um, the, the, there's a substitution, which is um, the terminology of rights and rights that are specific to the idea of autonomy. Interesting. And this autonomy is, that's kind of like the foundational element of the idea of inherent dignity. It's the, the idea that I uh, have rights, but my rights are really my rights to be autonomous and to kind of live on my own. Um, and so that's kind of... Now, that matters for us because we then think of, well, what do we do? Like, this is where the worldview clash kind of comes in, right? What are the outworkings of a shift of how do you define what inherent dignity looks like from a Christian theological anthropology, right? It says you have, you have human dignity as opposed to your rights are now equivalent of your ability to be autonomous, right? And autonomous meaning... Uh, acting uh, independently sure. right, of any uh, imposition or any uh, demands of anyone or anything else. Yeah. And so there's an outwork and there's a natural thing that has to happen. There's a, And this is kind of where the, some of our, our, our conflict emerges because we're then asking the question, all of these questions are if there's dignity or if it's rights and it's autonomy, the question is, well, the actions are mercy and compassion, right? Mm. If everyone has inherent human rights and they're human, they have human dignity, we act with compassion and mercy to one another, right? If everyone has inherent value. If they don't, we certainly don't have any compassion or mercy, right? right. We act differently. Um, but if I have autonomy, and that's my definition of human rights and my definition of dignity, um, my rights are to be autonomous in every element of my life. And what's the standard in which I measure this against? It's merely whatever I want to think or the individual thinks. And so what we've done, you just replaced the objective God with ourselves. And then so the question is, well, how do I actually live compassionately and mercifully with someone who's the definition of dignity, that inherent dignity, is their autonomy, right? right? right. Their, their rights and their dignity are just their ability to live autonomously, independently from everybody else. Right. So I've heard it said that, that in that case, that worldview replaces God with the individual rights to do whatever they want, however they want. Right. And um, they're compelled to really respond to other humans in no way, shape, or form. Right. Right. And that's a kind of a bit, that's kind of like an American, we're, we're, I mean, individual liberty and all that stuff is a very deeply held American value. The question becomes, even beyond a legal standing, how do we act compassionately and mercifully if we believe that someone has inherent dignity and value, but that is defined as living autonomously? Okay, so let me see if I got this. If I'm a secularist and I believe that dignity is simply the summation of my individual autonomy and the protection and, ex and expression of my own individual rights, right? then... That's the definition of dignity is somebody has rights and someone has autonomy. Yeah. That doesn't compel them to compassion and mercy. 
right. that compels them to protect themselves and their rights at all costs. Right. Right. So then we're saying there's a competing view. There's a there's another way to look at it, which is that human dignity, if it's literally um, uh, inherent and it comes through a creator, then everybody has it. Right. And that your compassion and mercy are the outworking of believing that everyone around you, every human being around you has this inherent right. value and worth. Right. And the model for how to live compassionately and mercifully for people has been already already kind of outlined by God in what we would describe as, you know, obviously we follow the Bible and obviously when Jesus walked the earth, he did, he he redefined what that looks like, right? So the idea of how do you live compassionately and mercifully has already been outlined as opposed to if you're just autonomy. It's just autonomous. You take you take God out of it. You replace the God with the individual. The question then is, well, what does it mean? What does it look like to live compassionately and right. mercifully because that person has individual value and worth? And that's where we have some real differences, and this is where a lot of yeah. clashes occur sure. uh, as we search to live Without an objective standard, without any idea of yep. like no no preconceived, written down way of how to live compassionately and mercifully, you're pulling things out of the air or um, looking for a needle in a haystack in terms of what should we do and how should we respond to people. And I've noticed that there's two two very very clashing approaches here that's emerged in our culture. In our culture war, I mean, you can do- document it every minute on Twitter, uh, which is when somebody uh, is is different from someone else right how do we dignify our differences one side would say to affirm everyone's Mm. feelings affirm them um affirm that's their version of compassion and mercy It, it is to say no matter what someone desires or no matter how someone feels you just affirm them that that's fine because they're they're literally expressing their own autonomy right yeah and they have a right to be respected that's their right that's yeah. their right to be who they want to say what they want to to act however they want right and and one of the ways that we see this show up is this affirmation that is given to people who are expecting or asking to be referred to by certain pronouns um and that this approach would be to affirm that would to say no matter how you identify yourself you're you should be you have the right to be treated mercifully and compassionately and that's understandable and that's i mean there's there's a big big difference between someone asking hey would you these are my preferred pronouns can you please refer to me by yeah and and being forced to do that which by saying hey these are my preferred pronouns legally now you because these are my this is my right right as a, a you know as a um, free individual autonomous, autonomous yeah, right? Yeah. And that that's my right, right? It's a universal human right, and you have to you have to um, provide that right and right. accommodate that right, right? And we see that too, right? With some of the some of the culture war relative to the 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 trans um, gender transition uh, help that's being given, right? A, a child. There are advocates now, even medical advocates, obviously, that are advocating for. Uh, a, a child expresses their confusion, their gender confusion, or their gender desire, right, to transition that they, uh, and then immediately treated with whatever hormone blockers and, you know, uh, eventually, I suppose, in the process here, uh, scheduled for um, surgery and so on. But the premise is this, that this child, this young person has autonomy. They have a right to be affirmed right. for whatever they think, and whatever yeah. they feel. Okay, so... That's one way to approach it is affirmation. Right. And then there's another way to approach it that we, of course, are more familiar with, uh, which is an alignment approach, which mm. is to say, well, no, there are objective facts and everyone needs to align themselves to those facts or to reality. Right. Right. Uh, some people might say those facts are science. Sure. Some people might say um, those facts are truths, mm-hmm. right? So uh, again, this might be similar to what uh, I remember being told by the medical staff at nursing homes with both my parents were in nursing homes and experienced some level of dementia and, you know, uh, and, and then some of the other patients there, some of the other uh, residents at the nursing home struggling with Alzheimer's and so on. And the medical staff would say to us, the way that you care for them is when they are hallucinating or talking about their uh, whatever thoughts right. or uh, um, 
uh, imaginations that they're having, mm -hmm. the best thing you can do for them to care for them is to bring them back to reality. Right, In yeah. other words, I'm not going to affirm that uh, I'm, my father, you know, at the end of Parkinson's was having all kinds of psychosis and he was imagining that in his room that his drawers were booby-trapped with explosives Ooh. and so he's in his wheelchair and we'd be rolling him in it's like sunset syndrome the sun goes down and his hallucinations uh -huh. go up and we're wheeling him into his room and he would he would kick his feet onto the floor and push back and mm. he, we would say it's all booby-trapped all my drawers have bombs in them explosives in uh -huh. them and some of the medical staff has you know all this like paranoia sure, right yeah. and so one approach would be to say, hey, he is autonomously feeling yeah. this, and to affirm him is the best way to show sure. compassion yeah. and mercy. And then there's another approach, which I believe I remember hearing from the medical staff, which is you you, you have to align him to reality. Hmm. And you say, Dad, we're not going down that path. There, No one's been in your room. Right. Uh, I've checked your drawers. There's no explosives. You have to come back to reality. I'm not affirming how you feel, yep. how you think, and... How, what you're experiencing yep. right now, right? So I have seen those two very clashing approaches. Yeah, and it, I mean that's, I think if we were if we looked at almost every, um, I guess div divisive issue, the question is, well, how do you want to how how does what does it mean to act compassionately, right? right? What does it mean to act compassionately for a child who may be struggling with gender dysphoria, right? Do yeah. you affirm it? Do you affirm it, uh, or do you say, you know what, it's actually more compassionate to realize that. Again, there's medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria, and then there's other, right? right. There's other circum. Most of the majority of circumstances are, they just have a feeling that they want to do it that way, right? Then the question then becomes: Do you affirm that in the moment, or do you realize this child does not have the ability to right. make a decision like this? And it's more compassionate, and it's more and compassionate, to yes, to to push against them, them right, right? In the right. same, yeah. And so again, the I think. But both sides have a concern for that child's yes, well-being. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And, th and this is where it all plays out, right? Well, what is my universal human right? right. What does human dignity mean? Well, yes. if it's only autonomy, it means you either affirm or do even align, right? Even the idea of so people push back that when you say the word reality, they would say, well, what reality? Exactly. Right? Of course. Like you're a white cisgendered male. Your yes. reality is exactly. not my reality, right? right. Um, and so that, so this is kind of kind of why ultimately it's, if we've taken 37 minutes to get why we're talking about it, but this mm -hmm. is how it kind of plays out and why it matters at, at the really the basic level. And so the question then becomes, right, like who or what really determines the subjective facts that we're, th we're thinking about? Yeah, what reality determines it? Right, right yeah. Um, you know, the one human dignity the foundation being in that we believe that, that God is the objective standard for that and that the compassion and mercy emerges out of following and aligning our lives with his design for human flourishing the right. other one being um you know affirming um and as christians it's kind of an important thing for us too is as we interact with people who have different worldviews yeah. they're not aligning them themselves with human flourishing how do we how do we be both loving compassionate but then also winsome and steadfast in right. god's truth right yep. and this is the hard part right are yeah we, are we affirming everyone's feelings yeah right or are we aligning people with what we perceive to be objective revealed design and facts right that come from a very very literal creator yeah. who's literally created design patterns and you know binary genders and whatever else yep and, yep and, yeah. you, and you go all the way into i mean uh, that focuses that that emerges in how we approach war how we approach all of these i mean these mass shootings you're like well what does dignity look like like what does dignity look like for the shooter before they right. shot everybody up right. right it's do you that person has inherent dignity and value and worth whether they have a mental condition or not right they have a, a, a diagnosable condition so do you take away their rights before right. they can do this stuff or do you, like that's the that's yeah, the question why not, why not send all mental health suspicious folks right. to a prison camp um, because you are proactively preventing these tragedies. Well, exactly. the reason is because all human beings, yes. guilty yeah. or innocent, have intrinsic dignity yeah. and value, and they cannot be imprisoned. Right, exactly. <laughs> because of suspicion, right? Yep. And so this is the, and again, and then everything comes in the clash where your rights versus my rights, and how do you live in a society, right? Right. Um, but then again, we could go on forever on this because, but the, really the question then becomes, well, what do we actually do with this as Christians? Like, how do we view the world? Um, and how can we change the way we look at it as we think about 
being gospel-centered Jesus followers right. and living in the world uh, and and living hopefully in adherence and get with what God has kind of revealed to us. Yeah, and it's important, I think, that we, we're going to kind of narrow our approach here, right? Uh, we just kind of, uh, I think, took some samplings out of maybe culture and, and some of the the world of, of uh, scholarship, anthropology, and so on. But uh, the bottom line is, <laughs> the bottom line is that only a theological anthropology gives us an absolute concept of mm-hmm. what human dignity is, right? Only a, a study of God as it relates to him designing humankind, humankind being anthropology, mm-hmm. gives us a concept of dignity that's absolute, right. that can't be that can't be um, adjusted or changed, right? And and it's a, it's a theology or it's an anthropology that applies to all human beings, or it's a, it's a dignity, a concept of dignity mm. that applies to all humans in all circumstances mm. and in every condition. So if relationship with God is not foundational to human dignity, Yon, then, then that dignity becomes something that be, can be conferred or withheld by other finite institutions or entities um uh, or i think we would we would hear it described this way a social construct sure yeah. right so it's either comes from god or we have to deal with the reality that people can just construct it they can just make it up and they can make it up in any direction they want to make it and there's as many uh social constructed um yeah. De- um, descriptions of human dignity as there are human beings. Yep. And then now it just becomes a competition to see who's got the most people to to have their social construct become the norm. Who's right? loudest? Yep. Who's more active on social media? Yep. Who's more militant and violent yep. to, to overcome right the week? So what we're saying is that we adopt, obviously, and accept that God has a, uh, there's a theological, theological absolute concept of dignity. And yep. Uh, without a relationship with God, literally, it's just made up. Sure, but we get this. I mean, Jesus. It's like, by the way, it's like making up math. Sure, right. Yeah. It's like saying, well, over here, the white culture, they've got a version of math. Right. Then you've got the people of color cultures. All of them have their own version of math. Right. And and the math never adds up and never matches up. Sure. It would be the world would be more chaotic than it is. And what we're saying is that that math is the same as human dignity. Right. It's already predetermined, and we discover it. Yep. Yeah. But ironically, I mean, you're going to, I mean, Jesus showed up, and he flipped over kind of the prevailing paradigm that yeah. he lived in. Actually, there there was like a social construct of what this there looked was. like, and Jesus showed up and flipped it. Around. Yeah, and the social construct always, of course, had women at the bottom of the chain, mm-hmm. right? They're at the bottom of the ladder. Women were at the, the low part of the caste system, a proverbial caste system. Uh, especially if you were a slave woman or in the Hebrew culture, if you were a Samaritan woman, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this classic um, example, and this is worth reading if, if you get a chance to read up on it, where Jesus has this one-on-one conversation with a Samaritan woman, breaks all of the cultural um, norms and expectations there, flips the patriarchy upside down by having a one-on-one conversation with a rival ethnicity to his tribe, uh, clashing cultures, clashing tribes. She's pagan and needy and uh, evidently uh, quite possibly a low-class woman and had multiple husbands. And I read a commentator recently who said she didn't have multiple husbands because she was sleeping around. It's because when one died, the custom would say, for the sake of their wealth sure. and inherit his wealth and his inheritance, she would be forced to marry his brother. Hmm. And then if that brother died, she's forced to marry his brother, right? So she she moves through the brothers to keep mm. that wealth in the family lineage. So she's on her, what, fourth or fifth husband mm. living with someone now. And the idea was that it's possible that these husbands were dying and maybe people thought she was cursed. Mm. So um, there's that. So cursed, low-class, <laughs> needy, pagan, rival ethnicity, and... Um, universally rejected inside her own people group and also with the outsiders, which would be the Hebrews at the time. Right. And so here's Jesus, and he he, he, um, he uh, meets her and describes to her something that has got to be so life-changing for her to consider herself someone with no dignity. And then he says, you don't even have to wait for a king to bring you dignity or even the Jewish Messiah to be valued 
I'm him. I'm the one that you're waiting. Everyone's talking about that they're waiting for. I'm that Messiah. And, and he goes on to say, I'm talking to you now to express my love for you and my grace to you and my forgiveness to you in the same way that I would offer it to the kings of the world. Hmm. You have the same. We're, I'm talking to you with the same love and grace and affection as I would the king of the world. So you're all right. the same. Yeah. Your dignity is just as important to me as uh, royal right. dignity, and that that at that time that would be that would be mind bending and life changing. Yeah, the irony is, most of us are listening. We're like, oh, good. Good for you, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, we're yeah. like, no, I mean, like we're 2,000 years of Christianity. Literally, yeah. that that's why we think like that, exactly. right? Because he literally switched it. We don't say, good for you, Jesus. You've a, We say, well, we can look back and say, literally, we think like that because of Jesus. Yeah, in fact, there's several examples where the culture shows up in the Gospels where the disciples tell Jesus. One example is, Jesus, oh, oh, let us get these little kids out of right, here yeah. because they're lower. Yeah. They don't have the dignity, the value, and the worth. And Jesus says, let them come unto me yep. in the in the king james and then he gives these examples here of not only um not only caring about and uh, um, meeting this need of the samaritan woman who was isolated alone and at the bottom of the dignity uh, level uh, but also having women disciples who he considers uh, sure. followers of his mm -hmm. who he includes and who he elevates and and then later, Paul, the apostle, describes this very kind of dignity that came from Jesus, that was expressed by Jesus, that came from God, to his churches. He writes to the church at Galatia, there is no longer, right, with saving faith in Jesus, when you're joined and unified to Jesus by faith, there's no more Jew, there's no more Gentile. That separation is gone. There's no more insider, there's no more outsider. Then he says there's no slave or free, male or female. And he doesn't mean those distinctives are gone biologically right what he means is that the same value and worth that the jews had to god in the old testament that the free people experience in our culture that the males who dominate the world have is now belongs to females mm. to slaves and to gentiles mm -hmm. no more separation and then he says this for you all you are all one in jesus and then ephesians has a massive section on that part about the oneness that jesus brings in helping people see everybody shares an equal dignity why right. because it was given by design mm -hmm. from god yeah. and it's not a social construct that each of these cultures had their own social construct sure yeah right yeah, yeah. so eventually uh, of course there's another letter too where he writes to the colossians the, the the church at Colossae, and he says in this new life with jesus it doesn't matter if you are a jew gentile circumcised or uncircumcised that means inside or outside law follower or not barbaric uncivilized slave or free christ is all that matters he lives in all of us and so those social construct bar barriers and boundaries which are basically like a caste system or a you know dignity at the top and then no dignity at the bottom value and worth he's saying every single race and skin color every culture and class every gender and generation every tribe and nationality is this has the same dignity why because they're a human being right and f and for our culture that would answer a lot of questions as to why and we've mentioned this in two separate episodes now yon why it is so deeply f held and felt from christians that the life of a child in the womb born or unborn is valuable because it has inherent dignity worth right. and value yep. whether it's been delivered or it's not delivered and that that worth and value matters more than anybody's autonomous rights to do with right. whatever they yep. choose and that's the, yeah that's a big part of the conversation right is it's less to do with it's even shifted a little bit from yeah that's a human to it might be human, but I still have a bodily autonomy, right? right? Between myself and my physician, I still have bodily autonomy I have to do a what right. I want. Yep. I have so a right to do what I want. Yep. And that's where, the, again, that's where the huge conflict comes in where, yeah, what is your definition of human dignity? If it's right. autonomy, that shows up like that. Yeah, and this is why the Christian anthropology has so much to contribute when we're having conversations um, because it rests on the centrality of uh, Imago Dei, right, which is uh, the image of God. And that the the divine God Himself has uh, given us this image to bear as the groundwork of all of human dignity and well-being and flourishing, and we are equal to each other precisely because no, none of us made the other person. Hmm. Um, 
We all have received our life equally. It's a gift from the Creator. And each of us was given infinite significance. It's a gift that God's given us by a very personal, uh, supremely um, mighty, right? But also very personal creator, which is the foundation of our human dignity. So, and that, that, that applies to all creation. That's different from dogs and cats and animals in terms of infinite significance, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and I know that's heartbreaking for some of our animal My wife lovers. is so devastated. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. As if she listens. No, she doesn't. But she cries when, like, the animal yep. is in trouble in a movie. Like, a human being literally gets killed, but then right. the animal but is the left alone. The horse is injured. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, she cried more when they shot the horse in the first episode of Yellowstone when, when the son died. I'm like, right. what the? Yeah. They have, I, I know why. I think I've cracked the code. It's because those animals are so innocent. There's yeah, no, true, yeah. there's no maliciousness or no uh, selfishness in those, those, uh, um, so humankind by itself all alone was granted the significance by our creation in the image of God. So dignity as a gift kind of carries on tasks and obligations. And that task and obligation is to be good stewards of this gift of dignity, hmm. good stewards of human value and worth. And, uh, and it's, and it's really, it, it's obvious that in so many ways that aspect is lost in a, in a, in a purely secular understanding of the concept that, um, that rights and autonomy have the highest value, hmm. right? Um, right? So the solution then, um, there's biblical principles that help us kind of um, work there through are. this problem, no hmm. doubt, obviously. Uh, one, of course, relative to the stewardship end is is to live on purpose, right? Human beings have value and worth. They It comes in Imago Dei, the image of God, that we are image bearers, and true dignity means living with intended divine purpose, right? Uh, for example, God created us as worshipers to worship him. If we're not worshiping him, we're worshiping someone or something else. We are the human beings are the crown of God's creation who are to live on purpose, reigning over the earth, creating. They've been created above spiritual beings. Uh, the scripture is called Elohim uh, and also to bear God's image, I mentioned, and, and also to be good stewards in the pro-life plus approach to life which is um, all human beings have life to be protected and preserved and even if it's not your own a human uh, child that's that, that someone decides not to terminate and they deliver it you know they should find a, an ocean of Christian people that are willing and able to adopt uh, to foster kids that are at risk to be advocates for all of life and care and dignity from the, the the fragile young single mom all the way to the hardened convicted uh, death row inmate right. that that life is in in intrinsically dignified sure. and yeah. valuable um, and then when we see how important it is to leverage diversity and in the Christian view we learn that it's not enough just to invite people with differences into our midst right we're not like just trying to become more colorful in our culture but we're to allow who we are and how we function to be transformed by the presence of all kinds of diversity diversity of thought and diversity of right. culture and diversity of um, lineage and so on so uh, we allow those those experiences to to transform yeah. us and is it yeah it's 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 literally i think just the overturning right of or the differentiating from like we talked about the attributed dignity where you're saying we're, we're going to reject that and say everyone has dignity we're not going to attribute dignity based on some sort of right. different physical anything we're or emotional who, mental right or, any of that or stuff. where you came from or what color you are yeah, exactly and then also the right the inflorescent rich the achievement one right we're not going to treat people differently and have more dignity for people who either haven't achieved or who have who have overachieved or done incredible significant things right right um but i think that's the right the reason that it really ultimately matters is because, you know, as Christians, we have to first recognize where our where this worldview of inherent dignity comes from. It comes from Jesus. It comes from Christianity. It's changed the world in which we live. But yep. then also we have to realize that that worldview is not necessarily the same worldview that everybody else has. They're not using the same definition, and that's where lots of conflict comes in when we think about how do we be winsome. And it's not easy. I think a lot of people... 
a lot of people say, oh, Christianity is so prescriptive. It's like, it's just so, you just follow all these rules. But that's not true. It's very, very difficult to determine. How do I live with compassion and mercy yeah. and love for people who I know have inherent dignity and value and worth? But where's the line of affirming or aligning them to God's human de- definition right. of human human flourishing? It's it's not easy to do. Right. But. Especially if doing that makes them feel bad. Yes. Right. Or, yeah. Or you put yourself in the box of being, well, you're you're violating my rights, right? right? I mean, well, there's the, the church is not just supposed to announce the kingdom, right? But we're we have a unique calling to actually exemplify it. And uh, in our church families, they should be places that apply the grace of the gospel to humans who, whether they carry shame and they live in darkness and rejection and abandonment, uh, but also celebrate their presence among us and celebrate right. the presence of, uh, of, of somebody who feels like they're the Samaritan woman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then to abundantly honor all people who are made to reflect God's character through their unique God-given capacities, even if these people we viscerally disagree with them right and yeah. it's 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 absolutely unforgivable that's that's an, that i don't know about that word but it's it's uh, <laughs> so painful that christians would ever love and respect people that they disagree that they agree with only right and mm-hmm. uh you know let us never forget that jesus is being crucified by roman soldiers and immediately praise that god would forgive them because they have dignity right yeah and says they don't know what they're doing, right? Yep. So, um, and again, I'll, I'll say it again, only a theological anthropology can give us this real clear absolute concept of dignity. Yep. And it applies to all humans and all circumstances and all conditions and uh, that can justify our responsibility that we have toward each other to show compassion and mercy. Yep. Because circumstances change and it will, you know, circumstances in the moment. We can all say that meant intellectually right now. We all agree. Oh, yeah, we agree with that. But then in the moment, in the circumstance, that's when things start to come yeah. to question. You're like, well, is that really true? Or right. you know, So you start making decisions based on human elements and things going around. And my, for example, my wife and I, every time we, we have, we've had, we've had two kids, right? But you get that DNA stat mm-hmm. and they're like, do you want the DNA test? Right. When they. We don't. We didn't learn the gender, uh, the gender, the sex of our kids. Um, yeah. But they did give you like if you have Down syndrome, and it's like my wife would say, "Oh, it doesn't matter what it is. We're going to have the baby anyways." Yeah. But we do want to know. But mm-hmm. you're like holding your, you're kind of holding your breath, like yeah. what's this going to reveal? Sure. Um, and so what's so my like, life going to be like? Yeah, and it's like a check, like okay, well, like yeah, I can say all this stuff, but yep. then when do I, I have my it? own, do I believe it? Yeah. Right, of course. I mean, that's yep. the. Well, I mean, it happens all the time when you, you know, preachers lose someone close to them. They're, they're, uh, they, they lose a spouse or a child and they yeah. say, my whole life I've been preaching, trust God, right? Yeah. depend on him, rely on him. He is a comforting God and he knows all things and has an answer. To, and then, um, and then, uh, they lose someone and then they're, then they kind of spend the next right. several months saying, did I, do I believe all that right. I've been? Yeah, maybe not. Exactly. Yep. Well, only the concept of dignity grounded in humankind has created in the image of God, really bestows the same dignity on all of us. I, I, I think that's, I think that's an easy way to summarize it. Yep, we should have just said that. Uh, yeah, people are like, we're fifty-eight minutes into this I thing. Know. You guys could have just said yeah, that. Thanks but a lot. Not the, much, uh, <laughs> not much dignity you've expressed. In yes, we have no treated you all with no, no compassion, compassion and mercy. Right. Well, let's talk about our personal preference, and it is kind of—it's not summer, but I mean, is it spring? It's May. It's summer food time. Yeah, it's summer food time. Kind of like food trucks nice are out on and, Wednesdays. And yeah, so the personal preference uh, is, you know, grilling. Yes. Grilling. What's your go-to favorite thing to do on the grill or to have someone else do for, on the grill you for you and there then you, you consume? Go. Yeah. This is so easy. Uh, as easy it is to make burgers and chicken and uh, my wife would, would uh, has spent a lot of hours pulling pork for a good pulled pork sandwich. To me, if I'm at a barbecue joint with any reputation whatsoever, it's such an easy choice. And even with ribs on the menu, I go with brisket. Mm. And uh, in, in I went to a restaurant. My son-in-law, Jackson, took me to a, um, a, a restaurant in um, Springfield that had, um, they were like brisket burnt ends. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so... Boom! I mean, double whammy: the brisket plus plus the uh, extra crispy, mm. s- smoky, yeah. burnt ends on that. So, that to me is an easy one. What about you? 
Uh, I mean, if I'm doing, if I'm at, at people's homes and they're grilling or something, I mean, it's, it seems like it's hard to do brisket at home. For I could sure. be wrong, but sure. you know, to make and it I don't want a mediocre yeah. brisket. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can't do like yeah. I mentioned before. I can't do a, a dry brisket. May as well be roast beef. Yeah, totally. So there's a good friend of ours, a mutual friend. His name is Jonathan Balletta, and he cooks bone-in pork chops on his grill and he puts them in his cast iron skillet and then he melts all this butter in there and puts a rosemary and i literally (laughs) am staring at a piece of it because he gave me some of his leftovers to eat for lunch and i have not to finish yet so and if you work with him you'll be surrounded by this stuff yes exactly so come work at this place because he'll give you leftovers but that has been it's like the beauty is like even nowadays like prices for meat are sky high but pork chops are okay, still so, not that high. So, so you're at Dinosaur Barbecue, a local, nationally oh, renowned gem, right? And you're getting brisket. pork chop? No, no, I'm getting brisket. Gotcha. I'm saying if I'm at home and people oh, are growing stuff at home, then that's a good, that's, yep. a gr- that's something that I, I I love eating every mm-hmm. time. But good I'm one. really... Thank you, Jonathan. He made it in to the podcast. You're welcome. Um, so thanks for joining us. Hopefully you uh, go either get some brisket or cook yourself a pork chop. Um, and thanks for joining us. We're going to give us a click, a like, rate us, review us. This is a shameless plug. Tell all your friends, your family, and just random people. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.